0: You're listening to a sermon delivered at First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa from the series, Doctrine That Goes the Distance. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. I want to throw you into the deep end of today's topic via some pastoral updates. Can I do that? Can I catch up on a few things? As a way to kind of uh, set the table for this, our final week in our summer series called Doctrine That Goes the Distance. To do that, I want to ask you to take the feedback card is in the back of the chair in front of you or locate the one that's digitally on your phone. Because every few weeks, we ask every single person to fill out a feedback card. Just kind of let us know what God's doing in your life Maybe an address change, an email uh, address change, perhaps there's a prayer request. So today's that day. So if you have a pulse and you're in this room, will you just find a pen, locate the feedback card in the back of the chair in front of you, and sometime before the service ends, just make sure you let us know that you're here today and anything you want to write on there about how God's working in your life. It may just be more didactic information. You'll just kind of write your names like, hey, same as last month, Todd, whatever. Staffs, you know nothing's changed. Or it might be that God's really moved in the last couple of weeks. Maybe there's some prayer requests. This is what this is for. And it may be that you'll hear some of these updates and think, oh yeah, I need to, I need to act on that. I need to move on that. I need to remember that. I need to let them know that. A couple things that I want to just kind of share with you as you take that feedback card out. I don't see a lot of movement. I should see kind of bodies moving forward, hands reaching out. Or get your phone out, type in this address. Let's everyone just kind of Use that before the service ends, and you'll fill out a card today. Let us know you're here and kind of what's going on in your life between you and God. Here's some things I want to share with you that might affect what you write on that card. As you know, today begins our annual sign-ups for our small groups. It goes from now through about September 10th. We usually take about three weeks and just really kind of urge all of you to get into a small group. Um, We have about 80% of of our average weekend crowd is usually in a small group. And so we're really pushing for 100%. We're good with 80. We like that. But we're always encouraging our leaders, look around, who's new, who's not in a group. And so that kind of starts today. You'll probably find a lot of our leaders will be kind of dispersing throughout the crowd in the cafe, and the gym, asking, if you're, are you in a group this year? Are you plugged into a lighthouse. That's kind of our name for small groups. In fact, at the close of the day service, we're going to have all the lighthouse leaders here in this service up. You'll see their faces, and you'll be able to kind of recognize them, and you'll know why they're kind of seeking you out okay not only that though but tonight we have our uh, fall kickoff party in the parking lot that's where a lot of our sign-ups will happen physically you can sign up your kids for awana there uh, you can sign up for your lighthouse there you can also do all that digitally as well on our website just go to firstfamily.church all of our signups happen that way but you can do it physically tonight the party in the parking lot there'll be food there'll be inflatables i've invited a lot of our neighbors who are in our neighborhood they're coming tonight and just a way to, and I'd encourage you to do the same thing, just invite people to come. It's a good way to kind of exposure to the church. But if you're kind of wanting to kick into to a group and sign up for a class, maybe, you want to get your kids into a WANA, maybe you want to sign up for the Christmas musical that the kids are doing this Christmas, that'll start tonight as well. So a lot of things that are happening this fall kind of kick off today and sign up start today as, and they happen tonight as well. It's a good chance to kind of meet a lot of the leaders. So those are all things that we encourage you to be involved in. In fact, I would say if you're not in a small group, that item specifically, then you're always going to feel somewhat like an outsider. You're going to feel like it's first church and not first family church. I don't, that's just kind of the way that ball bounces, you know. It's, it's in those small groups that relationships really kind of take root. But I was thinking about some other things, too, in our church that are happening this fall. I only did, did a life change launch today. City Point is going to be launching next March. So Nick's going to be coming in in a more visible way the next several months, and you'll see more of that church plant now. You know, we're looking to increase our mobilization funds by $100,000 next year. And we're a good bit away from that. We've got to increase our weekly giving a substantial amount between now and the end of the year. Um, I think the summer may just be at a little low, low tide, so to speak. I think we can get there. But our hearts are to really increase what we give to efforts of church planting missions, mobilization, try to flatline as much as possible what happens here. God's been good to us and gracious and we're content. And Let's see if we can give more away to areas in the globe that have less access to the gospel and see if we can invest more in church planting, things like that. So that's part of what's happening as well. You can read about other things happening in uh, your, your worship folder. One of those will be this Wednesday. We're having an all-day church-wide day of prayer and fasting. Now, typically, in the fall and spring, we will engage you in a 40 days of prayer and fasting emphasis. Not every single year, but most years we do one in the spring, one in the fall. and We just kind of encourage you uh, to pray and fast at certain times during that 40-day period. About a month and a half ago, I just was so burdened with some situations in our church, Uh, you know, people and their families and waywardness and then just rebellion and then just situations that in our culture that were weighing on us my heart was very heavy and our elders we were praying and I just sensed you know, as we kind of all regather this fall let's just take a day and, and fast and pray and so this Wednesday we're going to open up the auditorium from 7 to 7 there's not going to be a set time for you to come and pray with everyone but if you can come by the church building sometime between 7 and 7 in this room right here We'll have some prayer stations set up. We'll have some actual list of different areas that need prayer. Just pop by. You may have a lunch break. You may want to come before work. Um, you may want to just take some time off from work. Maybe you have a job that's flexible. You can come over and pray. We'll have some music playing, and you'll just, just anywhere you want in the auditorium, just kneel down and pray. And um, let's, let's, you know, I, I'm convinced, I don't know quite all the details here, but I'm convinced that when Jesus told the disciples that there was a certain kind of spiritual warfare that was only dealt with through prayer and fasting. I still think that holds true. And I can't name every single one of those in an explicit fashion, but I'm convinced that as we battle principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, as we aren't battling flesh and blood, but those uh, other things in the spiritual realm, that yes, prayer and fasting are huge weapons. We just want to continue to root prayer deeply in our church. And so this Wednesday, I want to encourage you. Watch this. Make time to pray. And and yes, fast. Whether it's 7 to 7 or or a meal, you can decide that. But I'm calling on you to to do that without apology. In fact, what I'm I'm saying is this. From tonight's get-together, we sign up for our groups, to the kids that want us, to the different programs. Today is... to to Wednesday's prayer and fasting, to missions, to investing more financially, all those things. Watch this, church. Listen, without apology, unashamedly, I'm calling you to action in those areas. It's like, wow. This is the deep end right off the bat. Just boom. Eight feet, I'm under. Why? Why? Because the kingdom's current and future reality... It demands our clear and present priority. Make no mistake. The kingdom's current and future reality demands that it be our clear and present priority. Now for me to make that statement to you and to call you to action, to call us to a certain type of prioritized lifestyle. I hope you're thinking this right now, Todd. I hope you've got support for that because you're asking for my time. You're asking for my resources. You're asking for a lot. You're asking for a number of things. So why can you say that? I'm glad you asked that because you should want to know what gives you the the right to even go down that, that, that trail. It's a verse in Matthew chapter 6 that I think best kind of unpacks the priority of God's kingdom in a way that I just want to analyze that one verse today that I think will support this statement and our leadership's call to you for action, all right? Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, it'll be the verse that we look at as we look at the doctrine of the kingdom this morning. You might could say it in these two words, God reigns. You might could use this larger word, eschatology. That's kind of the umbrella doctrine over the idea of the kingdom of God. But I won't be getting into issues of timing of the rapture, the literalness of the millennium. I'm not going to go down any of those paths today. We did last summer a little bit. We had an end times round table at the end of the summer. and You can go back and check those on our website, hear those, catch up a little bit. I just want to take some time to unpack a little bit about what is the kingdom of God and why does it demand our clear and present attention in a prioritized fashion. I want to answer that question today. As we do, I hope to take some of your questions. I'll need to be done by 9.30, so at 9.30 I'm just going to stop no matter where I am in this. I know I won't be done. I'm just going to stop. We'll move on, okay? I'll make sure we're not over time today. But I want to get as far as I can, understanding more about the idea of God's kingdom and this doctrine that is so, uh, it calls out to us to adjust to our lives. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 6, can we? To do so, I want to go to our lab this morning. Matthew chapter 6. You've got verses 25 to 33 as a context, okay? Christ is talking to his disciples. I'm going to focus mainly on verse 33, and I'll kind of mark it up for you here and show you why I I think it's such a, a call to prioritize God's kingdom over ours. But just understand that this singular verse is kind of tucked inside a context where he contrasts. Now watch this, because this is going to be astoundingly shocking to you. It should be. He contrasts God's kingdom, watch this, not with your preferences, not with your hobbies. And I, just last couple of weeks, me absorbing this has been uh, soul-altering, okay? Mind-bending. He contrasts the priority of God's kingdom with your essentials. So I want you to see that. And it will help us put our own life into perspective. It's, it's shockingly uh, sobering. So we're going to see that in this, in this verse and in this context. The verses 25 to 33, which you can kind of read even while I'm speaking now and, and reading this one verse. They're in the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, the Sermon on the Mount is the, the sermon in which Jesus shows how radically different his followers are. In our attitudes in our actions, in our expectations. It's the sermon in which he says, you say this, but I say unto you. You say don't murder, but I say don't even hate. You say tithe, I say give sacrificially. You say don't commit adultery, I say don't even lust. It's the chapter in which Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And He, he describes attitudes and expectations he describes a lifestyle of someone who's radically different, not just on the outside and how they act, someone who's radically different on, on the inside, which is why they act the way they do. And, and so to be one of Christ's followers is to adopt, is to have this work done in you. It's to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Matthew 6 says. To not do that is end up at the end up uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which he says... Some will say to me, Lord, I I did all these things. Yeah, you did all of these external things, and in the end, I will say, I never knew you. Notice what he says there. He didn't say, I once knew you, but you lost it. He didn't say, oh, I once knew you, but you walked away. He says, I, say it with me, church. And so to be a radical follower of Jesus demands that Christ do a work in us that he will forever do eternally, and we won't lose it, But to not follow Christ, to not believe and not trust him, we may attach good works to our life, but that will not save us. And so it's a a sermon about the radical nature of God's kingdom and how it affects us and changes us. It's within that sermon that he talks about our pursuit of God's kingdom. And so he, he contrasts the kingdom of God with the things that we focus on. Verses 25, 26, 27, he says, you're concerned, you're anxious about what you wear, about what you eat, about what you drink. I mean, those are essentials. You don't show up somewhere naked. Are you with me? <laughs> Most of you don't miss a meal. I don't. Your food needs body. You need something to drink. So Christ here is talking about what's essential. You might even phrase it as this. He's discussing the, the kingdom of man, things we gotta have. And in the middle of that, look at verse 31. Let me go back here. You got see that okay? Decently? He says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? You see that right there? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? By the way, these are called these things. So you can connect those dots. And you see the phrase, these things, several times in this, in this set of verses. The Gentiles there would be another word for pagans, unbelievers. They seek these things. That's their life. That's their kingdom. But watch this. Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. So you see the word need there? So he's talking about essential. He's talking about needs. And then this amazing word in verse 33. Look at this. But. So there's a contrast here, isn't there? So in contrast to all these things that unbelievers think You need, and we do need them, but God knows you need them. So he's saying, don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it. God knows you need them. Here's what you should be concerned with. Do you get the contrast? But seek first. And the word first there is important. He didn't just say seek, did he? See, there's no sense in this text that God is saying, add the kingdom to your list. He's saying the kingdom tops your list. The word first doesn't mean just first in a list. It means first in importance. And the word seek there's there, zetoa means to, to chase after, to pursue, to grab hold of. It means to desire. There's no sense in, this, in, in which this word has any kind of weak meaning. So in terms of importance, sequence, and priority, go after God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what is righteousness there? I think two ways to look at it would be helpful for us. It is the the way that we are right with God through Christ. And it's the things that we do that are right for God. So we're not right with God because of what we do. We're right with God because of Jesus Christ. Christ is the righteousness of God. Yet, when we do right things through Christ's power, those are righteous acts. So, in both ways, the term is used in the Bible. I think here, he's saying, seek the things of God, things that are righteous. I think, by implication, seek Christ. Seek to be right with God through Christ, but seek to do right things for God. All that's probably encompassed in this. In other words, God's kingdom, his righteousness, the things of the Lord, Jesus Christ, Right things are what we should seek. And then watch this. And then all, here's the word these things again. All these things, which would be what? Yeah, what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. Say it with me, our needs. You see, the boat may not be in here. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. Do I think this is an umbrella term in some ways? where Christ is saying that, it, that our whole life is encompassed, yes, I do believe that. So you could say in some sense our hobbies, our preferences, our wishes are included in here, or what I call sometimes our little Ks, our schooling choices, our restaurant choices, our, our vacation hotspots, the things we like, our favorite teams. Those, are, those aren't sinful. So they're included in this, but I think what he's also saying is this, all of those things you think you need and the things you definitely do need, they're still not as important as what he knows we need, and that's his righteousness and his kingdom. If we seek that first, then these things will be added to us. Now, can we just be frank here? When you see the word added, does that not help you understand that this context is one in which our... And I'm just going to say it to you as, 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 as when i was studying just how this came about... Even the word added lets me know there's there's a sense in which all of our necessities are still extra. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of hard to hear, isn't it? But he says, hey, all these things that that you need, your your father knows you need them, and we'll add them to you. Like, even the even the clothes and the drink and the food, yeah, that's a bonus. When you have God's kingdom, that's the core, that's the necessity. This is this is this not mind-bending now? Isn't this soul shattering? That Suddenly, we, our world is turned upside down. We thought we had to have clothes, food, and drink. That's a necessity, and we'll add God to that. No, it's exactly the opposite. The doctrine of the kingdom is so important, so critically fundamental to your life that actually it's the most important thing about your life. And what you wear, what you drink, what you eat is actually a bonus. That, that's, no one thinks that way. Your pastors doesn't think that way. That's just different. But Jesus' teaching is so crystal clear to us. So there's two things I see in this verse or set of verses. And again, read the whole context. This is just the, the nut graph of it. I think really brings much to us about the kingdom. I see a couple things. I see the reality. I'm going to write these words in here. The reality of the kingdom first. I'm going to talk about that with you. And then I see the priority of the kingdom second. Can we talk about those for a bit? I doubt if I'll get to the priority much, but I want to talk about the reality of the kingdom and teach some things about it, okay? We see, first of all, just say this, and then we'll, we'll go off the lab and kind of look at the verses, that, that the kingdom is a real kingdom. Jesus Christ did not say here, look at the verse again, seek first the concept of the kingdom of God, did he? He didn't say, seek first the coming kingdom of God. He gave a literal time and space command to disciples. Seek first the kingdom of God. And the the explicit understanding is it must be here and now and able to be sought. It must be real, actual. It is. Let's talk about that for a bit, okay? Let me show a couple of verses that I think will help us with this. We'll go out of our lab and we'll look at some. You might want to write these verses down. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist came on the scene. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand, or the word is near. He was preparing the way for the Son of God who was bringing the kingdom of God. When Jesus arrived a few months later, he said the very same thing. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is Matthew chapter 4. We see later in the New Testament, I think this verse may be in there somewhere right as well, where Paul affirmed that the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God has come and it came with Jesus and it's not necessarily what you eat or drink. It's something bigger than that, something more important than that. It's the work and person of Christ. So what that means is this, that the kingdom of God must be A place where God's ruler rules God's people. In fact, that'd be the the simplest, most succinct definition to give you of God's kingdom. What is the kingdom of God that we're to seek? How do I define it? The best way to define it is this way. It's God's people under God's rule in God's place. You can mix those up however you want. It's just kind of a good, succinct definition. We'll show it on the screen behind me. We usually use three three Rs to kind of arrive at that place. We always say this. God's kingdom must there must be a, a ruler who is that it's Jesus. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That was proved in the resurrection. It was affirmed in the ascension. He's now seated at the right hand of God. So he's the ruler. There must be a people who are ruled. That would be God's people. And there must be a place in which that rule is recognized. Those are three R's that we use to describe God's kingdom, at least to this definition. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. Now listen very carefully to me. Because you should be thinking now, yeah, well, Todd, does that mean there's places where God's not in charge? No, but it does mean that there are pockets and places where perhaps God's kingship, his rulership is less evident currently. Okay? Now let me explain something to you. And I'll get into this in just a little bit more detail. Because God's kingdom has always been planned by the Father, it's throughout the Old Testament, though the phrase kingdom of God is not in the Old Testament, it's evident in how God moves through history. The kingdom of God has always been planned. It's always been, we might use the word premeditated, so to speak. Then Jesus provided it in his presence, so he inaugurated the kingdom, we say, when he came, and we know when he comes again, he's going to consummate that kingdom. So this kingdom's been around. It's always been in God's heart. It's always been the plan. Does that make sense? We see it shadowed in David's kingdom, in Israel. He was the, the, uh, the type. Jesus is the substance, the fulfillment of that. And so what, what God is moving to is a visible complete, fully realized kingdom. At that point, now listen very carefully, everyone will recognize Christ's kingship and his kingdom. Do you hear me? Whether forcefully or willfully. Philippians 2 teaches adamantly. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that's Revelation 19, 20, 21. The final enemy is vanquished. Jesus crushes the head of Satan, 1 Corinthians says. That day is coming. On that day, there will be a a completely visible and fully recognizable by everyone kingdom with Jesus as king. Amen. Until that day, he is still king, but he's not always recognized by everyone. Do you know that? And so we say... In this meantime, that the kingdom of God is when there is a king ruling over his people in the place where that rule is recognized. That's kind of how we see the kingdom of God currently. So just kind of keep that in mind. The phrase we also use is this, that it's already but not yet. So when did Christ's kingdom come? When he came. It has always been planned by the Father, but in the fullness of time, Jesus came and he said the kingdom of God is at hand. So he brought the kingdom, but it's not yet fully realized. It's not yet fully visible, although, watch this, it is fully viable. But when he comes again, it will be fully visible. So it's already, but yet it's still not yet. Now, let me talk to you more about the, the, the kingdom from a classroom perspective. Because we believe that's what it is, that means we also believe that it's not some things. It is not fully already. If you believe it's fully already, and there are some that do, you tend to have an over-realized eschatology. Remember, the the doctrine of the kingdom falls under the idea of eschatology. And if you think that everything's already happened, that 70 AD was the coming of Christ, which full preterists would believe that, then you tend to have an over-realized eschatology and you become what I believe somewhat naive. It's just going to get better and better It's really not as bad as you think. And sometimes naivety naivety sets in and it it really is as bad as you think. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And we need a deliverer. We need a rescuer. But it's not just fully not yet either. There are parts and aspects of the kingdom that have come. So that's why we say it's already but not yet. If you think it's fully not yet, that nothing of the kingdom is here, that when Christ left, he, he took the kingdom, and we're just kind of waiting in this vacuum, you have an underrealized eschatology. And you end up typically being hopeless. So I don't, I don't think we should be naive, nor should we be hopeless. We shouldn't have an underrealized eschatology or an over-realized. We should have a balanced understanding that the kingdom of God is here, has come in Jesus... And yet there is still more that he will bring when he comes again. Does that make sense, guys? You kind of follow me there? That's all part of this idea of the kingdom of God. Also keep this in mind. The kingdom of God is not just the church. I believe the church is what some people refer to as like the mediators of the kingdom or the custodians of the kingdom. But neither is the church just Israel. Okay? So keep these things in mind. Sometimes we can use terms... And we, and, and we may not use them carefully. But the kingdom of God is a broad, encompassing concept that is literal and real and in place and yet is going to be consummated and more fully seen later. That's why we come back to this definition again. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. Colossians 1:13 and 14, I'll have Ryan find those verses. They give you a, a good way to kind of see This definition from a biblical point of view. Listen to these verses. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So, where are you currently as a believer? In whose kingdom? You're in the kingdom of the Son of God. So that means it's present, it's real, it's actual. Time and space, you've been taken out of a kingdom of darkness, you're in the kingdom of Christ's Son, and in His Son you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a great kingdom to be in. Amen, church? And yet, is there more to come? Yes. What does the Lord's Prayer say to us? We pray this. Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in... So is there still more to come? Yes. Yes. And so we should pray, Lord, come quickly. We want your kingdom fully visible, alive on the earth. All right? This is the kingdom of God and it's reality. What it is and what it isn't. Are there any questions yet? I don't see if you've been texted in yet. We have one. Let's take one here. Then I'm going to talk about its priority for a little bit. Let's take this question. Is it wrong to be anxious about wants? Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not be anxious. So I'm going to say to that question, yes. That will breed other questions, <laughs> which is good. For instance, some may say, well, I, I'm not really worrying; I'm just concerned. Okay, we have a spectrum here. But let's just go ahead and say, if we are going to worry about things that we know God will handle, that's wrong. Why do we back up from the scriptures? Philippians verifies this. Be anxious for nothing. That's, a, that's an imperative command. But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. So if you're you're probably looking for me to try to find this like middle approach, like a politician. I'm just going to kind of stick with what Jesus said and what Paul said through the inspiration of Holy Spirit, and let's just kind of call it what it is. When we worry more about wants and hobbies and preferences, and even in this case, our needs, when we worry and think, well. How's God going to handle this? I think we're in violation of this because he says here, your father knows you need him. He's got you covered. If you're going to spend time thinking about something to that degree, shouldn't it be the kingdom of God? I think that's the point here. Let's give our energies to the kingdom of God. God will take care of those he rules over. Now, I don't know how you hear that. I know that we all have emotions and we all have concern. and, And Proverbs talks about planning ahead and saving and I'm for all that. But I think if we just can be honest with each other and just admit that we're talking here about, th- 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 about worrying to the degree that, that doubts God. That begins to think, well, he's king, but he's not acting like much of a king right now. But can't he get things in line on my time frame? Doesn't he know what I need? <laughs> That's wrong, guys. Now, understand something here. I don't necessarily think he's saying these things in of themselves are wrong. But it's the anxiety we have towards them that's wrong. Which is why in the passage, six times he says, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Six times. This is the most common used words in this in this context of verses. So your preferences, your boat, your hobbies, your schooling choices, what I call those little K's, and by the way, keep them little K's. Don't make them the big K. Remember, the kingdom of God's not food and drink, that's the kingdom of man. But those little K's aren't always wrong. It's how we react to them that can be wrong. And when they over occupy our attention, when they are the only thing we're concerned about, we've missed the real point of what Christ says here that his followers seek first what tops their list in order and importance. Is God's kingdom. His righteousness. The things that would glorify God's name and fame. Yeah, yeah. let me just kind of dig here a little deeper. The things that, that we invest in financially, in our schedules, with our time, with our attitudes, that make a difference eternally. See, because underneath this text, here's the theology underneath it. What is it that lasts, church? It's not your food, your drink, or your clothes. You see, you have to get kind of below the surface of the text and ask yourself, why does Christ say this? It's because he knows that the eternal factor in all this is the kingdom of God. Now, will you last? Yes, but you'll get a new body. You're not going to serve the Lord in that body, and I'm not either, amen? You're not going to serve him in those clothes, and you won't eat this food, So though you will be given a new body at the resurrection, which we discussed that a few weeks ago, and you will live forever serving the Lord, those who don't know Christ will, watch this, die forever. It's the eternal death. You'll have eternal life. Where are you going to have this eternal life? Where are you going to serve Him with this resurrected body? You're going to serve Him in His kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. So do you see what Christ is saying here, guys? He's saying... That when we focus and worry about all the things that we think are, are eternal when they're really temporary, we're just missing what really matters. Have you ever felt like your life's all consumed with things that just don't matter? Yeah, I have. Like the score of a game. You've been on the sidelines sometimes and you just, you feel like the temperature's rising, it's up to your neck, then to your, your head, and you're like, you know, just tell you, wait a second, this will not matter in the kingdom. It's just eight-man football. <laughs> it's just flag. <laughs> it's just a piece of furniture. I know it got back-ordered, and they lost the order, but it's just... front you, you can put anything in there you want. I've, I've had that struggle where you're like, man, you get so ramped up and jacked up about something that that truly, it, it may be a need, but it's really not going to last. And man, I, I tell you, just the last couple of weeks, just... You know, my perspective has just been skewed in some ways. And just asking God, can you flip me around to where I actually live these verses? That I don't worry about even my essentials, but I'm consumed with seeking first God's kingdom. That means this right here. This is kind of the application question that I'm going to be done. There's more to say, but I'll have to say it later. That really we're asking this. Here's how you can hit the streets with this. How does God's kingdom relate to an effect? And you fill the blank in. I believe this verse says to us, every decision should filter through God's kingdom. I should have brought one of those like filter things in using a kitchen. What's what's the name of those things? I don't know. Maybe it's filter. I don't know. It's got a handle and it's got like a little, you know, fine screen. Colander sift. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Food Network stars here. That's awesome. You know? <laughs> I mean, we should hold one of those out. And everything. Watch this church. Everything. You don't just put what you want in there. Every single thing goes through the filter of, God, of God's kingdom. And what does God's kingdom say about this? How I spend my money. In fact, here's four pictures. Just look at real briefly. What does God, God's kingdom say about my calendar? My schedule? what I'm doing, what my kids are involved in. That's why when I called you to action in the introduction, they were for things that matter. Does it mean your family doesn't matter? Does it mean your kids don't matter? Does it mean that sports doesn't have a part in it? I'm not saying that, but I will say this to you. Family idolatry happens when we serve the kingdom of man to the exclusion of the kingdom of God. And you can train your kid to be a great quarterback, but he doesn't learn scripture that's a losing equation. Now, do you have to have a want to do that? No. I know that. But is a want is a good tool? Is Sunday school here a good tool? Is commitment to a lighthouse a good tool to make sure that happens? I think it's a great tool. So I'm going to push you towards using that avenue to say, you know what? Let's emphasize in part is the kingdom of God. It's a practical way to, to live out this verse. Is all I'm saying. I think we can see that. It's just an honest conversation. So how does the kingdom of God affect your calendar? How does it affect your relationships? How you treat people. How you view the people who live in your city, in your neighborhood. You know, God loves people, doesn't he? And so because the Holy Spirit sheds abroad God's love in our hearts, guess what we should do? Love people. The the principal of Ankeny High School. um, Dr. Jeff Hawkins. A lot of us know him. His son's got a Severe illness right now. We heard about it last week. Some of you know this. So we sent him a card. I'm not sure if much about Jeff on the spiritual side, but I, I know I'm on friends. Even some of our folks are friends with Jeff, and um, we love Ankeny High School. I do. Uh, we take him donuts every year first day of school. This year, in fact, we took donuts to every school in the city on the first day because we love the people in our city. We love our schools. We love our educators. We that that shouldn't be considered weird. We should do things to say to our people in our city, "Hey, we love you. God loves us and we love you." We don't know how many of them are believers or not, but you know what? Loving people is one of the very first ways that we get conversations about the gospel with people. God's kingdom will affect how you view people, how you treat them, how you look at them. That's why the the real issue in our country isn't political, you know that? It's not a red or blue issue. It's not a white or black issue. The real issue in our kingdom, in our co- in our country, is a kingdom issue. I don't belong to a political party. I belong to the kingdom of God. And so that affects how I see people and how I look at issues. So how how does the kingdom of God affect your relationships? How does the kingdom of God affect your finances? And your ability to be generous. One of the things that Julie and I've been doing lately is we've been using this thing called mustard seed. And we gave the cards to you last year at remember. Not many folks jumped on board and it wasn't that big a deal. But we've watched this year about 15 to 20 dollars a month. Uh, we, what it does is mustard seed rounds up every expense that you make with your check card. And so if it's 1833, it goes to 19. Or if it's two forty-five, it goes to three, and so we just kind of set that in motion. And we thought we'll see how much gets rounded up. At the end of each month, they take all the roundups and they put them towards First Family Church. And we've agreed here that all those roundups would go towards missions. Kind of our way of helping us get to one hundred thousand dollars for extra for mobilization. Do you know that this year we've been able to just see almost I use the word accidentally about eighteen or so dollars a month just go to First Family missions. That we that's above and beyond what we normally give. That's a good way to kind of like leverage some sources. We could just write an extra check, you're right. But it feels kind of neat like, oh, we didn't know he was giving that, but it worked out pretty good. It kind of happens under the radar. Now imagine if 100 people in our church just did that. You probably wouldn't miss the 18, 15, $20, but we'd have $1,800 a month extra towards missions. I would say that's filtering your finances through the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Simple way, not like I'm trying to push on you. I'm just showing you Look for ways to say, how does the filter of God's kingdom affect my finances? We should be giving and financially investing in that. And then lastly, just how does the kingdom of God um, affect my view of the world, my perspective? Not just people, but issues and things. Here's what I'm asking us to do today, guys. And we've just barely scratched the surface on the kingdom. There's so much we could say. But I intentionally this morning went to one singular verse to show you that if doctrine doesn't show up on how we live, then I don't think we really believe it. When it comes to God's kingdom, it's real, it's present, and it should be a priority. So could we just say, Lord, we will seek your kingdom first. And we'll trust you to meet all of our essential needs. We'll plan ahead. We'll, um, we'll do the things that we, we should do as a human being, yes. But we're not going to be overly anxious. We're not going to worry because you've got it. What we're going to concern ourselves with is your kingdom and its righteousness. And I think a church with that as its focus, man, Anki could not withstand the deluge of, of spiritual impact a body of believers would make were seeking first the kingdom of God in their relationships, finances, calendar, perspective